Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mojo DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 116. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Donovan. This is Joe. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest news and comic book reviews from April 28th through May 11th. We have a total of four different books to cover and a very small amount of news to go over. So without further ado, let's get right into the news. It's not about money. It's about there is not actually really any news we're going to discuss. Uh, there's uh, two interviews that we have up on the website. An interview with Kyle Higgins that was conducted by Comic Book Resources. Uh, most of the questions that he talks about in that specific interview, we've already talked about in the previous episode that we recorded. And then uh, the other one is there was an interview done with Greg Pak about uh, Batman Superman. But again, there's not really any new news that came out of that interview either. So if you are interested in checking those out, head over to the website and take a look at that. Uh, what I do want to talk about just briefly is the fact that the four books that we are covering this episode, among them is not Batgirl. As you have probably figured out due to the pattern of events that have occurred on the Batman Universe comic podcast, the first episode of the month normally includes Batman, Batman Robin, Detective, and Batgirl. But for whatever reason, Batgirl was delayed a week, so we are not covering it. So... Uh, let's uh, briefly hypothesize <laughs> what our thoughts of why Batgirl was delayed. Since DC has so adamantly um, assured us numerous times that they are not going to be releasing late books, uh, we've seen it, it happen a, a few times, specifically with Justice League in the past. But uh, with back, uh, well, well, even with some of I should say not the A tier books, they have gotten artists to come in and fill in the art and finish up the art so that the books would still be on time. So ideas of why Batgirl could have possibly been delayed. Well, uh, I think an obvious joke would be made because it sucks so bad. That's why it's delayed. Oh, ho, ho, ho. but I think, um, if I were to guess, honestly, uh, unless, unless Gail Simone came down with, um, I don't know, the mumps or something, what? uh, maybe, See, I, I kind of take, maybe, I think it's just an honest delay, delaying of an issue. I kind of think that, like, judging by the haphazard way the last issue was written, she could possibly just be late with the script. Um, I mean, I guess the idea of, I mean, spoilers for Batgirl 19, as though you were stupid enough to read it, like we were. But, um, uh, Gordon is chasing Batgirl now because, everyone, as everyone knows, she brutally murdered her brother in cold blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I think that, like, I don't know. The, I, I think Gail Simone's just having trouble with the script. And it's not just to me saying, you know, well, she sucks, that's why. But, like, I think that, like, just judging by the way the book was read, it feels very much like she's kind of just throwing things out there without much of a plan for the future. I mean, I think there's supposed to be, wasn't there a Scarface story coming up soon? Was I- Yeah, I think that was actually supposed to begin this month. 
So maybe, I mean, so maybe that, that, sh- that should actually have been out there. Maybe this is involved with her former, you know, or like, you know, brief firing and then being rehired. So maybe it has something to do with it. Although, I don't know, since, since the Scarface issue was solicited for a while, I can't see why well, that would be an issue. Um, so it probably has something to do with her, you know, her brief firing and rehiring. Or maybe it's because she's late with the script. But uh, either way, it is interesting because I remember how Dan Dio was so adamant about DC Comics in New 52 will not allow books to be late. Absolutely not. And, um, and granted, this is really the first book I think we've ever come across so far that has been late. But uh, I'm wondering what, I wonder what, if any consequences that will result from this. Well, I just have a question in regards to this, and I'll let Joe go, and then I'll give my thoughts. Shouldn't those scripts already be in the bag? Like they should already be done and ready to go. This, this is. Yeah. That's my question yeah, this, with that. This, I don't think the scripts have anything really to do with it, and that's why it comes back to it's probably not. It probably has very little, if anything, to do with Gail Simone. It probably more has to do with the artists themselves. It might be. T- I, I mean, like Stella said, they should have all been done way beforehand. But unless it's anything to do with her new book, and she can't handle two scripts at once. Um. But, you know, like you said, that they should have both been done ages ago, so I don't know. Uh, I had another reason, but I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, like, I didn't even recognize that it was late, which I guess is saying something right there. Um, oh, I don't, this isn't the first book that's been late, though. I remember The Dark Knight, remember that was late, and then it just sort of, now it's just in its normal spot where it's at the end of the month, where it, I think in the beginning it used to be at the beginning, but it just got delayed. So I, I don't. I honestly don't think that it has anything to do with Simone. I think it's it's something else. Um, I mean, they were switching artists back and forth. Maybe it had something to do with the art, but it's been quiet. Uh, normally, you hear something as to why a book is delayed. So that is interesting. Uh, just the silence, and, and there's been nothing going on. But of course, it's not a high priority book because I think it, if it were something like Batman, then we'd be hearing a lot about it, and there'd be a lot of complaints. But I honestly, you know, I did a lot. I actually tried to find out why this book was delayed, and surprisingly, nobody really brought it up online as to why the book was delayed or ideas of why the book was delayed. So. I, I will say I'm tr- I'm almost positive it has nothing to do with Gail Simone. Um, if anything, it has to do with the fact that maybe they just could not find a fill-in artist at the last second because, you know, they, they hyped up the fact that Ed Bennis was going to be on this book for a while and then he was only actually on a couple issues and then he was just doing covers and then he was off the book to get altogether. And this isn't the first time they've done that with Ed Bennis. They did this, if we remember back before the New 52, um, Judd Winnick was supposed to be on I believe it was Batman and Ed Bennis was supposed to be doing the art. They did one story arc and then were off and Ed Bennis disappeared off the face of the earth. There was an explanation of why Judd Winnick was off the series, but Ed Bennis disappeared and he was supposed to be the new ongoing artist. So this isn't the first time they've done this with Bennis. They also, he did the exact same thing when, uh, he was writing with Gil Simone, or he was doing the art for Gil Simone on Birds of Prey right before the New 52 as well. So, th- I mean, this is not something new for Ed Bennis. So, um, as we've seen over the last couple months, it has not been a consistent uh, artist over, I'd say, over the last six months. There's probably been at least three different artists on the book. So it's gotten to the point where if you're not an A-tier book, 
And I say A tier, meaning you are not a supporting character in one way or another for another character. Then your artist really doesn't make a difference, and they don't really make a big deal about the fact that there's a specific artist attached to a series. Um, they will, uh, they will initially say that there's an artist attached to the series when there's a new writer change, but they don't really make a big deal about the artist. So I'm convinced that it probably has something to do with the art. Um, but again. I, I don't really understand what the, what, why all of a sudden this has happened now. Um, I did notice that next month it will be back at its normal spot in the second week of the month. But again, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense of why it happened. It just did. There was the, there was a point brought up about the fact that maybe it has to do with the fact that she's doing another book. In, in, and I would almost say that's a possibility because at, uh, when the New 52 started, Gail Simone was working on Fire of, Fury of the Firestorm and as well as Batgirl. And it was only a couple months before she left that title and was solely working on Batgirl. So it again leads me to my idea that I said a couple months ago about I'm convinced that she will be off of Batgirl <coughs> by the end of this year because... <coughs> because she has stated numerous times that this book that she is currently writing um the movement for dc she really enjoys blah 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 you know and if she puts her talents uh towards a book that she really feels wholeheartedly in passion for great because honestly it doesn't feel like that with Batgirl. so and from what I remember, when she was doing Few of the Firestorm, she was co-writing it with uh, Ethan Van Skyver as well. Like where that ends yes, up? I believe so. And that's long since it's been cancelled. Um, I could, I was going to bring that up until you talked about it. Like, I forgot that Ed Bennis was going to be the big booby artist for Batgirl. And he was on there for, like, what? Three issues? So, so um, She zeroed in it. It was issue zero, and then it was like, like, like one or two issues of Death of the Family, so... <laughs> that's a quote-unquote shame um I, I i yeah the move maybe it is because of the movement and her other stuff because she is working on other stuff legitimately so maybe that's it um you know writers have their flukes you know things to be like this is not like you know a huge phenomenon always notable because it is like uh a rare bat book a rare you know popular book that is uh delayed you know but um <laughs> i'm not crying <laughs> i don't have to read it for this month so who cares You'll have to read it next episode. That'll be next, still within the month. Sorry. Why are you to do that to me? That means you've got two consecutive episodes with that going. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's not really news. It's really just us uh, giving our opinions on that. And there really isn't any other news. If you head over to the website, by the time you're listening to this episode, the new solicitations for August have been released. And there is going to be some books that will be canceled. None of them are bad books, but uh, there are some books, which means there will be some more spaces come September, possibly leaving some open issues for villain one-shots in September and then possible ongoing series starting in uh, October. So just be on the lookout uh, probably within the next couple weeks as we finally, it's DC finally announces what we've all known that September is going to be villain month and see what happens with that. In addition to, uh, what the new series that are going to pop up since there's going to be four new series that are going to have to replace the series that are getting canceled. Be sure to check that out on the website if they have to do with any of the bat books. So with that, we're going to get straight into our 
Comic Reviews. And the very first book we are going to do is Batman number 20. I want information, and I'll get it any way I please. Batman number 20, written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Pulo. The issue starts off with Bruce Wayne being thrown into a bat symbol in the Wayne Enterprises R&D department. Uh, Clayface threw Bruce Wayne, and we see this was this occurred a little while ago, uh, when Clayface first came in contact with Bruce Wayne. In the Wayne Enterprises R&D lab, we see a number of different Batman gadgets that Wayne Enterprises has been creating, including the Bat Robots. But as we are led, as we find out, once Bruce Wayne activates them, Clayface has the ability to deactivate them because not only can he take the form of them, but he can also take their voice. Our voice activated uh, systems can be recognized by Clayface now. Clayface then explains that Bruce Wayne is screwed. He is going to ruin him. And he will then get to Batman and figure out exactly who Batman is by coming in contact with him. After Clayface swallows him whole and keeps him inside of him for about seven minutes, he throws him to a trash compactor with Lucius Fox. After Clayface explains to Lucius Fox that he is going to, that Bruce Wayne is now dead and he's going to go ruin Bruce Wayne's life, Bruce Wayne resuscitates himself, stating that, that breathing is overrated. After they try to figure out a way to get out of the actual uh, trash compactor, Lucius Fox finds a bat suit, which similarly resembles the Batman Beyond suit mm-hmm. in a more armored fashion. Yeah. Uh, Bruce puts the suit on, busts through the door, and Lucius Fox is saved. Then we cut to where we last left off in the last issue with the... Uh, the Bruce Wayne doppelganger, as we know as Clayface, riding away from the police when all of a sudden, as Clayface stops the police from chasing him, he gets to Wayne Enterprises and he runs into Batman, who has a different sort of suit on. And this suit, I suppose, is supposed to keep him from, is, is, I guess, the Clayface suit to help him deal with Clayface. As Clayface uh, attacks Batman, Batman, is deter- Batman determines that none of the previous methods that he used to take down Clayface will work. After Clayface continues to taunt Batman in numerous ways with previous villains that we've seen in the previous series, uh, Batman electrocutes Clayface, bringing him to uh, his knees for a very short amount of time when the police arrive. That, uh, Clayface then in turn, after breaking the glass on his helmet, touches Clayface and reveals to the police that Batman is in fact Bruce Wayne. Gordon and all the police are kind of looking puzzled as they don't know what's going on. And what ends up happening is Clayface gets locked into a panic room, which in turn can only be controlled by Bruce Wayne's DNA. Uh, then Batman explains that he had a an impression from Bruce Wayne over his face after saving Bruce Wayne and Lucius Fox from Clayface earlier in the issue. Clayface is, and tries to taunt him with the fact that uh, Damien is uh, Bruce Wayne's bastard son, and in and in fact that Bruce Wayne is a horrible father. This gets to Batman, and Batman then decides to leave. He gets back to the Batcave. Alfred explains that that. It's unfortunate what has happened to Carlo, and he he wishes that upon no one. Then the two of them decide to watch the same clips from Bruce's and Damien's last uh, adventure, I guess you would call it, as they both cry 
and the issue ends. Then we get to the backup where very quickly the continuation of the Willow of the Wisp story where the girl explains exactly what happened. Um, the magic that the creature has is really taking its toll on Superman. Batman convinces the girl to try to help him defeat the creature by telling her, telling him how they eventually, they first got the creature. She explains there's a piece of paper that he read a spell and they entered the circle and in turn that's what stole their souls. Uh, Batman finds the piece of paper, says it out loud and the monster disappears. In turn, Superman is grateful as the magic is now all gone. The girl's soul, which helped Batman, um, she in turn tells Superman, hey Superman, take care of this one, okay? He might be, he might look all scary, but he's much sweeter than he looks. And then she says goodbye as her soul disappears. Batman then says, I don't really want to talk about Damien, so that's that. But if you do want to go on patrol with me, I'd be fine with that. Uh, then he disappears and Superman says, oh now, oh, now you're doing that to me. Great. Hell of a friend you are. The end. Alright, so, Batman number 20. I don't have a whole lot to talk about with this. The few things I do want to talk about is, we'll start with the backup. Um, we talked about this last time as far as uh, what do you think of the magic elements in a Batman book. We don't really see this very often. The fact that uh, Superman also makes an appearance in the book, which is also something that doesn't happen very much. What do you think, or how do you think it all wrapped up? Do you think it worked well as a short little two-part story, or do you think it was kind of a waste of space? <clears throat> um, I don't think a waste of space is a mite, is a mite harsh. Um, the way Tenyon approached this, I think, and the way I think it, what makes it work is that Batman and Superman are kind of, they're kind of um, against the wall in terms of, you know, dealing with the supernatural. They're, they feel really out of step. They, real, they feel really sort of kind of out of their element in dealing with this. And I thought that was, that's the way that makes it work best, you know. If, it's, if they're kind of approaching this as sort of a Van Helsing, oh, we know what to do, use this sort of magic thing, or, you know, use the, um, I don't know, use these, use these uh, ecto-compactors to suck up the ghost or whatever, then it becomes out of place and, you know, unwelcome. But the fact that, like, they're both kind of wondering what it is and kind of fighting, you know, you know, by the seat of their pants, I think makes it work. And I, li and I liked it because, you know, the characterization was nice. And um, I think, I mean, I, it's not like, you know, I don't want to see Batman and Superman ever fight supernatural evil or forces. I mean, I, once in a while, it's fine. And as, as long as you kind of treat it as though it is supernatural, it's not it's not their usual bag, then I think it works well. So I, I, didn't, I didn't mind it at all. I thought it was well done. I, I mean, you know, obviously I wouldn't want to see it the next time they team up. But uh, this, this was fine where it was. Yeah, I didn't like it as much as I liked the first part. Um, but for a short story, I I I liked it. Um, if I, I think I it worked being spread out, just because like I you know I don't think that they they definitely couldn't have got any more out of this story. So I think that it worked in these two parts as the backup, and I I overall enjoyed it. And I like as Don said, I, I liked the. Uh, characterization of both Batman and Superman dealing with this thing which we don't often see them dealing with and I thought that was handled well considering what they were dealing with. Alright, so then the other thing I wanted to talk about was the Clayface story. So it was already revealed last issue that Clayface has more powers than he's had before. 
Um, the, the one thing that I found a little bit odd and out of place is the fact that they never actually explained, nobody ever actually explained why Clayface had the bat suit on underneath his normal, uh, underneath Bruce Wayne's normal suit. So, what was your thoughts on that, or any other specific thoughts about this side of the story? Well, the explanation is simple, old sport. It was, um... not old sport! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I don't have an explanation. And I think that's an interesting point. I think what we're supposed to assume is that, like, because he absorbed Batman Bruce Wayne's DNA, then Batman typically has the costume, although it isn't consistent in terms of how what the costume's made out of under his regular clothes. But the idea is that, like, it's under his regular clothes and he doesn't notice it. Like, like he took a shotgun. Was it a shotgun? He took, he took some sort of gunshots through the chest and, like, there was armor there. Maybe we can argue that Clayface, you know, typically armors himself whenever he is shot, so he it was used to it, but he really should have noticed that thing <laughs> under there. I'm not even talking so much about Clayface as I am Gordon. Gordon clearly saw that in the last issue that... Underneath Bruce Wayne's suit was the bat suit. Oh yeah, and it's never even discussed, even though it's revealed after the fact. Hey, this is Clayface. Well, that's great, but what about the fact that Bruce Wayne is wearing the bat suit underneath his clothes? Yeah, and do they touch? But to me, that was weird. And like in the opening of the last issue, where Gordon sees Bruce Wayne with the bat costume on. Good point. Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> like, like that's a yeah. that's a very good point, and it, it could lead to interesting storylines. Because, like, right here, we, we know the whole. I'm not Bruce Wayne, and he he looks clearly confused when Clayface turns into Bruce Wayne, seeing that that's who Batman is. So, uh, maybe Snyder's doing something with this, but I'm not sure because it is it does it is you're right it is brought up and then directly ignored. So I'm not sure. Speaking of that, <laughs> I like even though. Batman then pulls off that membrane saying, oh, I took the DNA from Bruce Wayne. Like, yeah. <laughs> that would still, I think, cause, like, raise suspicion. You'd still be like, okay, well, let's follow this a bit further because why of all people would Batman choose Bruce Wayne to... to, uh... To pose as like, that, take, that goes yeah, along with those, take, those really old comics where, like, oh, I had Bruce Wayne pose as me, and, you know, oh, I had Bruce Wayne help me in stopping you, Hugo Strange. Like, those... Why why are they such good friends? Because like if if the idea was that when he was saving Lu- like Batman was saving Lucius and Bruce Wayne from the Star Wars trash compactor, um, <laughs> then what would have been even better is if he chose Lucius's DNA <laughs> as the membrane just to like really throw the police off, and then it, then they wouldn't even be going like, oh, okay, well he's got the same chin as Bruce Wayne and he's got the same DNA as Bruce Wayne, so I'm pretty sure it's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> And then, especially with the bit with Damien and like Batman's reaction to that, so I think they really would be like, okay, there's there's something going on here. But uh, I'm not sure if that's just the tone of this book, and it's meant to be a bit more kind of like in a way campy, I guess, and like a bit more far away. But I'm not sure. It does feel very uh, comic booky, and like almost 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 in a bad way, but just enough. It stays straight enough where it feels feels right to me. But like there is a lot of combo conventions, like the the way the secret identity is kind of played at, and the way Batman kind of MacGuffins his way out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you yeah, when you, when you bring up Damien, it's like you know, why is Batman so upset at Damien Wayne? Like that should cause some investigation. So yeah, it is kind of throwing the the fact that Batman's going to Bruce Wayne in their faces, and they're just ignoring it. 
I think if that is the thing that it's meant to be a more lighthearted tone, it doesn't work because it's the same artist following Death of the Family, which was such a like gruesome and dark story, and then go to this. But then I did really like the previous issue, but it, there wasn't quite as much um, ridiculousness about it. The ending was nice. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, uh, the endings of both sections is really what saved this comic for me because it, it did really seem, I, I, I agree with Donovan, it was very comic booky. I think in both sections, just sort of really fantastical. Um, but I think the, the real heart of the issues lie, lay? Lay at the end of both of those stories, just with Alfred and Bruce at the very end, and then Bruce and Superman at the end of that, and, and just sort of the gag that they had at the end, and him finally saying, yeah, it's, it's been tough, and I appreciate you being here. So I think that was really what saved the issue for me. Um, I guess in this, uh, Lucius has absolutely no idea that Bruce is Batman because of the scene in the trash compactor. What I don't understand is you've yeah. got the the Batman Beyond prototype costume, and like, oh, it's not cost-effective, so we'll just throw it away. Uh, well, not to mention, I know we don't talk about this book on this cast, but in Batwing, the, there's, there was a new Batsuit that was introduced that is exactly like, it has the exact same features as the Batman Beyond suit, only it doesn't have the red yeah. on it, it has blue. So that was kind of uh, a mishap, I think, too. Can I just mention real quick that, like, both Gordon and Lucius here are really, really in the dark as, as who Batman is, to the point where I think it almost makes them look kind of stupid. And um, I, I suppose that's, that's this versus Tay, because previously, even before Lucius was, you know, Morgan freeman up, he was still kind of one of those characters who kind of, you know, thought, even if he isn't Batman, there's something different about Bruce Wayne here, and Gordon was the same way, and, like, now they're kind of really, you know, oh, no, look out, Bruce Wayne, you're in danger. Oh, thank goodness Batman saved you. And I don't necessarily mind them not knowing, but I do think that like that take does make them look a bit weak. That's just my personal opinion. And I think I think I, I would have to agree with that too. Yeah, I think that kind of goes back to like the tone of it and whether it's meant to be a bit more lighthearted, a throwback type issue. Because I generally like the interpretation of Gordon as you know, I don't know, I don't want to know, I'm going to look the other way. Whereas this, like you're saying, is really like, huh, what's going on here? Alright, so that is all I have for Batman number 20, so I'm going to give this book a total of 3.5 out of 5 bad ranks. I, I like this. I mean, it wasn't perfect. There was, it was kind of cheesy at, at parts, but I still enjoy it. I enjoy a lot of Batman stories with Clayface. I will give it 4 out of 5 bad ranks. I, I, I dug it on an enjoyable level. I also like this, not as much as I liked the last one. Um, I would have given this a 3.5, but I think just looking over it, it was fun enough for me to give this a four. I think it's definitely worth a read, but there are, there are definitely weird things about it. Like, I definitely want to know what happened about the bat costume, but I don't... The bat suit under Bruce's suit, but I don't think we ever will. Uh, yeah, and I I definitely agree with that sentiment. Um, just not as strong, and as I said before, I think just really the endings uh, saved it for me, and I will give this a 3.5 out of 5 better ranks. Alright, so that's going to give Batman number 20 a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Beyond Digital Chapter number 22. Mom, Matt, there's something I need to tell you. After the show, dear. No! It can't wait. I... I'm... Batman. 
Seriously, I am. Terry, please. Batman Beyond, number 22, Undercloud, part two, Supersonic. Writer, Adam Beechin. Artist, Adam Archer. Colorist, Andrew Elderlook, AAA. Shriek is aiming his sonic projectors at Batman, explaining that the Joker King nearly finished off Batman and laid and laid out the blueprints for anyone to finish him off, since, of course, the Joker King was unable to complete that particular job. Batman leaps out of the way of the projectors, causing Shriek to inadvertently use them on himself. Batman then explains that he has upgraded his suit, but hey, guess what? So has everyone else. Luckily for Batman, none of the music goers have noticed what is going on because of the loud music. I think it's dubstep. (laughs) Meanwhile... Meanwhile, Max is working on the Metal Man responsometers, explaining that she has not found an opportunity to contact Terry, and Rebel One, a woman, yes, a woman, holding Max under closer observation, and and intending to use the Metal Man to flatten Gotham as part of a crusade for social justice, will kill Max's mother at one sign of funny business. Rebel returns to check on Max, happy that she set Shriek up to keep Batman busy. She tells Max that soon Gotham will be equalized, and no one will be looking up at anyone else. The responsometers are completed, and Rebel goes on talking about the genius of the scientists who created them and understands why he didn't want the government to have them. They work, and the metal man is alive. Alive! Alive! <laughs> Back with Batman. Shriek explains that he normally doesn't take on technological collaborators, but it was too good an offer to pass up. The ultrasonics that the musicians are emitting target specific pleasure centers in the brain. Shriek will piggyback on them, boost them through the roof. The roof. The roof. The roof is on fire. We don't need no fire. (laughs) And turn anything with a brain to liquid. He goes to demonstrate on Batman. When Batman leaps out of the way, recovering from the fall he took while Shriek explains his technology. Ha ha ha. They talk back and forth about their history. History. The history. And then Batman knocks him off balance with a stereo and pulls apart his suit. Uh, Back with Max. Rebel says that there are only a few more switch flips needed for Max to get the Metal Man moving. And then she can get her mom out of Gotham. Ghetto, ghetto. Before it is dust. Max is told to flip a switch, and she knows this is the time to signal Batman. She turns the resonator on, but something goes wrong. She drew too much power, overcranking the energy load to the Gotham suburbs. Max promises it was an accident, even though it really wasn't, since she didn't realize what would happen, especially since she just saw the tech. (laughs) It turns out it was a momentary blackout, and only a sophisticated computer could track it back, so Rebel's okay. Back at the Batcave, Batman continues to search for Max, who disappeared right in the middle of Joker night when the power settling goes off. That can't happen. Only someone who knows how the Batcave really works could go around the safeguards. He realizes it must be Max. Ta-da! And goes to tracking her. Elsewhere, Rebel decides to boot up the robot despite protestations from Max that there haven't been any tests and she doesn't know if the robot will listen. Rebel is 90% certain, and hey, that's going to be enough. Alloy is online, and Gotham dies tonight. 
wah, 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 to be continued. I actually, you know, I, I've been thinking about this issue for a couple of days, and I, I don't have any particular points of interest to talk about. Uh, so I guess just sort of back to the old way that we were doing things with TBU, what did you think about the issue, uh, especially compared to last issue, and have your thoughts changed any concerning who this masked person is? Now we figure out that it's a female. Female. And uh, so this could actually continue with the theory of uh, Raish or Raz al Ghul being the person out of the mask, since as... Uh, our intrepid whiz kid Donovan Morgan Rand had said before, you know, he is in Talia al Ghul's body. So that could be. Uh, this was a weaker issue, in my opinion, just compared with the last one. It seemed like the momentum was somewhat lost. Uh, I did enjoy, you know, going back and forth between Max and Batman, but it just didn't seem as intriguing as the previous issue where we're learning about all this stuff and, and all the tech and everything. So not as good as the other issue, but what are what are your thoughts? I think with the villain's plot to equalize everyone, uh, it could be Gal Simone. I suppose that was a mandatory joke. Um... I I thought it was okay, too. Yeah, I thought it was not as good as the last issue. Although, I, Shriek, I think, was one of my more favorite of the uh, Batman Beyond villains, so I enjoyed his battle between himself and Terry. And um, I liked the fact that like, it took up the entire issue, you know, and we were kind of going back and forth. Um, in fact, I think it's kind of rare that we see a whole issue contain a fight scene, so that was, that was nice to go back there. Um, I do have a minor, 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 minor art quibble, and this is, like, so nerdy that, like, Basically, turn off the podcast or fast forward because it's not really worth me saying. But I will. Because uh, I remember in Batman Beyond, like, they kind of made a thing where in the future people don't really wear collars anymore. And yet, Max is clearly wearing a collar in the scenes between her and Undercloud. So I sure hope someone got fired for that blunder. Maybe but, she's uh, a hipster and is bringing it back. Ooh, a hipster. <laughs> the only one the hipster here is still. <laughs> but, um,. This was this was okay. This is fine. I mean, I I also thought that it was a bit convenient for the plot that Terry figured out uh, a blackout. That must be Max. What? Whatever. It was. It was. It wasn't. It did not my socks off. But it was. It was decent enough because it still felt like the like you know an adventure in Batman Beyond's uh, universe, and it was entertaining in what it gave us. So I thought it was decent. I also didn't like it as much as the last issue, just because I really liked. Um, as I said, how we sort of were getting into uh, Terry's head in that issue, and we got less of that in in this one, but it's it's still decent. My thoughts on this was uh, I don't think it was nearly as good. The thing is, I never really was super interested in this Undercloud story to begin with. I know it, the whole idea behind it is to focus on Max, and I do think that Max deserves some attention, yeah. but. The Undercloud story as a whole is just, it seems like it's just dragging on. And it, I mean, mostly because this all started a long, long time ago. And the fact that it's been, I would almost say, two years since it started. And we still have no idea who's under the mask. It's just, it's been going on for far too long. So, um,. That aspect of the story I wasn't super thrilled with. But at the same point, the fact that Batman was fighting with Shriek, 
even though he started fighting with Shriek in the last issue, I thought that was interesting because, again, we see that play that we, we, we know from the TV series between Shriek and Batman, and I, I really like the idea that they do with the, the, uh, speech bubbles for Shriek, how they specifically make it seem as if he's not actually talking, it's, it's a sound being played, yeah. and I think that's kind of cool, so, um, that aspect, I thought, wasn't necessarily saving grace for the story, but was a redeemable trait from the story. Alright, so Batman Beyond, Digital Chapter 22, I'm going to give a total of 3 out of 5 batterings. Meh, I'll give it 3 out of 5 batterings. I will also give it 3 out of 5 batterings. I'll step it up, I think I liked it equally uh, with Batman, so 3.5 out of 5. Alright, so that's going to give Batman Beyond Digital Chapter 22 a total of 3 out of 5 bed ranks. Let's move into our next book. Batman Robin number 20, or some may say Batman and Red Hood. Know your limits, Master Wayne. Batman has no limits. Well, you do, sir. Well, can't afford to know him. And what's going to happen on the day that you find out? We all know how much you like to say, I told you so. On that day, Master Wayne, even I won't want to. Battle and Batman and his grumbling sidekick, the Red Hood, in Shattered by Rage. Yikes. Uh, issue written by Peter J. Tomasi, uh, illustrated by both Patrick Gleason and Cliff Richards, inked by Mick Gray and Mark Irwin, colored by John Calise. Uh This issue begins in the Batcave, like most of these issues in this title kind of do, where Batman is sort of, you know, keeping tracks on this terrorist group he's going to beat up later in the issue when Alfred informs him that he has a visitor. It happens to be Carrie Kelly, the young woman who he met with the other night in the last issue, wearing that Batman, that Robin suit, who, who was apparently Damian Wayne's friend. So she meets him and acts like a real, uh, not very nice young woman to him, especially since she's, you know, a guest in his home. So she insults him and Alfred and says, where's Damien? I want to talk to him. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't take all of your money. I only took what I, what I was owed. And, um, I don't want to work for anything that I'm, you know, I don't want money for stuff I don't do. So she notices Titus, or Titus, however you like to pronounce it, and starts to uh, spouse off lines from Titus Andronicus, which, uh, which scholars famously claim is Shakespeare's most violent work, and they also claim that it used to be uh, a period at the works of the time, but nowadays it seems to be really over the top and not really one of his better works, although, you know, critics can disagree. So, um, Batman keeps... I guess we're going to have... <laughs> And you got on me for last time when I was all about that. <laughs> You're a backstabber. How was I ever engaged to you? Baby, please, I can change. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, Batman says, get out. And um, while he walks away, Alfred says, hey, stranger, would you like a job taking care of this dog here? And uh, Carrie says, of course I would. Um, so we cut later on to, I suppose this is inside the Batcave, although it's kind of vague as to where. Jason Dodd is still there. <laughs> He's been there since, um, the events of Death of the Family, actually. If you're, if you're reading, uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, uh, not the current issue, but in, in issues 17 and 18, I believe, uh, maybe before then or after then, he was, uh, brief, but brief aside, he was actually attacked by the Joker. Joker kind of put an acid bomb in his hood, and, um, he was, you know, being t- taken care of by Batman, and they kind of bonded, and they were, it was actually very nice. So he's still there. 
um, t- uh, looking at his hood saying, hey, did you know that Damien took this from me one time? And Bebe said, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Hey, would you want to go on a, on a mission with me? I'm going to go kick some ass, you know, against these terrorists who tried to uh, snipe Damien back in uh, the first issue of the second volume of Batman Inc. Um, because I'm seeing red. So Batman and Red Hood travel to Ethiopia, which must have taken them hours, although because it's a comic book, they get there in seconds. And they have a full-fledged assault against this terrorist group. Uh, Batman convinces him somehow to, to keep them alive by only shooting at their hands, knees, and elbows. And Damien, uh, not Damien, whoops, Jason happily obliges. So this is actually an, an interesting scene between uh, the reunion of uh, two former partners, Batman and uh, Red Hood, or Bruce Wayne and Jason Todd. And um, so far, it's going really well. They're really uh, kind of rely on each other, and there's no real tension, although Batman does have some special bat gloves to paralyze people's um, hands with. So that's interesting. So they completely wipe out this terrorist unit, and they use what looks to be uh, the tumbler to drive towards the um, the Magdala Valley, which, if you've read Death of the Family, actually is the area where Jason Todd was blown up. So and as Batman says, this is where you die, as though Jason probably needs to be re- reminded about that. And um, he says, so, uh, you know, you did die here. You have any idea what brought you back to life? I could really use it to bring back my whiny son. And um, Jason gets annoyed at this because he says, why would you want, why would you possibly think that it would be a cool idea to bring me over here? I don't want to remember me dying or being being brought back to life. I, don't, I just want to forget it and move on with my life. And Batman kind of whines and says, if you cared about me, if you cared about me at all, you'd help me bring back my son. It's not fair. So because this is titled Shattered by Rage and because this involves a whiny Batman and Jason Todd, they get into an obligatory fight sequence. And um, they kind of go blow for blow. Jason's really offended at the idea that Batman's blaming him or whatever to not help him bring back Damien. And so Batman just turns into a mask and says, Come on, hit me! Hit me! Hit me! So Jason obliges. And um, he says, I'm still standing, Jason. Uh, Jason says, I'm taking the car. Goodbye, Bruce. And he steals the tumbler and drives all the way back to America as though they were possible. So uh, this issue actually ends not with uh, Jason face palming or, or Batman uh, saying he's sorry, but with a shadowed figure who flips a coin, which comes out heads and he says, No. Uh, next issue, Batgirl in the bargain. So this issue, <laughs> this issue of everyone's favorite title, Batman and the Red Hood, uh, is another issue we, which reunites our favorite couple. Um, but before we get into them, guys, I want to t- talk again about. The new uh, addition to the supporting cast, a character we've never heard or read about before, Carrie Kelly. Um, so this is more development on her. We know that it's, it's firmly established that she's a, a Shakespeare geek. Uh, or maybe she's just a film geek because she actually does say that the only reason she knows that quote is because she watched the 1999 um, uh, Anthony Hopkins film uh, and thinks that it's an old movie. But what were you thinking about this uh, what do you think about her interaction with Bruce and Alfred in this issue? I'll kind of start off in saying that, like, I actually did think that she was a bit of a, uh, I don't want to say the word. I actually did think that she was a bit of a uh, shrew to them. She was rather rude, you know, being in someone's mansion. <laughs> I thought she was a bit snippy. I suppose that she wants to know where Damien is, but I don't really see her why she has an attitude problem. But what did you guys think? Clearly, the Carrie Kelly thing is going to be something that's going to carry through not obviously these last two issues, but also the, the next three issues as well. And we've seen in interviews that she's going to have a pretty, she's going to have a prominent role somehow in the new 52. Um, obviously there's plenty of people out there saying that, Oh, well, she's going to become the new Robin. I doubt that, but I think that she is going to have some sort of 
permanent tie to Bruce Wayne in some way that they're slowly trying to develop. The reason why she's so snippy and she, you know, is so rude doesn't make a lot of sense to me because really it almost seems as if they're they're taking the character from what she originally was and making her more uh, arrogant and, you know, full of herself. So, in my opinion, I, I don't really understand the reason behind that. I mean, she basically says, oh, well, I'm not going to take your money, which is in one way a noble thing, but the fact that she says, she makes a point to say, I'm not taking money for something that I didn't do, in a snippy way, makes it come off as uh, she is a complete B. So, I am not super thrilled with what they're doing, but I feel as if they have a purpose that they are going to try to achieve. I just don't haven't figured out how okay. yet. I really hate this character. <laughs> I uh, I know what word you're thinking of, and I agree. But um, yeah, I like like Dustin. I think that she's. I, I I don't know why she's so rude. I mean, I really hated in the last issue how she took the, the like she was owed a thousand or something and just took the hundred thousand and was like oh, I'm going to the bank so I like the fact that she bought that back because at first I was like well that could have been an error you've just stolen some guy like an extra like ninety thousand dollars but <laughs> nine nine thousand okay I believe the check was for ten get it right oh, I'm sorry but I like the fact that she returned that but yeah she's in someone's house and unless it's she's supposed to be like hey I, I'm Poor, I'm, you know, I'm making a living, and you're some big rich guy. How dare you for treating Damien this way? And you know, like, like just because you're you're rich, so I don't respect you. That sort of thing. But I'm I'm from the streets. I'm cool, which I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> I say that. Um, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I I re- like, and the way she like, but it still kind of comes down to like she wants to talk to Damien because like, oh yeah, he was a great customer. I was getting loads of money from him. So I don't get it. I don't. Yeah, I just don't like her at all. She's yeah. Really pretentious, <laughs> and the way she like she just sort of walks in, starts looking around his house and stuff, and like so unapologetic. Yeah. Well, I do like at least that. Uh, I mean, she's actually asking questions of like, "Where's Damien? Where's your son?" Whereas, like, no one else. It's like this complete bubble. No one really knows what what's going on, and no one is making any sort of connection. So, at least with her, I'm happy that. You know, she is begging, she's asking the question, where is Damien, what's happened to him? And of course, Bruce comes up with this lie that just reeks, reeks of BS all the way to the corner of the room. Um, and then, you know, she sort of bonds with Alfred uh, a little bit, uh, and, and she's got this sort of uh, quip about her. So I definitely get that, yeah, she is obnoxious, and just the way this, like, air about her um just how she's presenting herself is not great, but I do like that she's asking, where's Damien? Because she cared about him, and he was a part of her life at one point. And, well, I no, I don't mean it to be a shiver. But, again, you know, through this character, we're learning what, what Damien or who Damien was um, apart from Batman. And we see that he was taking acting lessons from her. Uh, you know, what what it was like to be somebody else. And you sort of, I kind of pondered that. Like, what does that mean? Was he acting all along when he was trying to be this good kid? Or was the act, 
you know, when he was Robin. And so that was just something to really think about as well. But we're learning more about him. And then it's obvious that she's going to be around a little while. I mean, now she's getting paid to to be with Titus. So, you know, I, I think we have to, maybe she'll get better. Maybe this is just the way it's going to be. I mean, Joe, did you like Damien when he first came out? Uh, not when he first came out. No. Yeah. So you and I were definitely the same, and now we really like Damien. And so maybe if we're just sort of annoyed at Carrie Kelly, then maybe we'll grow to love this character as well. I guess. I think, maybe that's what actually they're trying to I do. That, that could be intentional, because when you see the thing about, you know, she's trying to be all clever and quote Shakespeare, and then you find out it's like, oh, yeah, I watched a film once. So she's kind of got that air of like, oh, yeah, I'm so clever and intelligent because I've watched a film, which... Uh, it's got that air about it, which could be very intentional. So I, I see I didn't really address that aspect of it before, but that would make sense. I think, you know, I do think I kind of agree with what Stella said in that, like she, for all we know, she's like this. Carrie is the only person that, uh, that wasn't in the superhero community that Damien was, was social with. So for her to ask, you know, where is he besides Lucius Fox and that one Batman issue, Actually, it's, actually, actually, it's really cool that, like, you know, somebody who's not a superhero is asking where Damien is. I, I like that. And this, is, this isn't, like, you know, destroying the character for me in this new universe. I mean, it's just, it's just a scene of her having an attitude problem. Like, she doesn't look to Bruce Wayne when she talks to him. She's like, she kind of, like, walks around, you know. And she's a pretentious college kid. I mean, like, 99% of college kids are pretentious, myself included. But, like, um, I just think that, like, it was uh, – the anger was unearned. I think that, like, if she had maybe one more scene after last issue with Bruce – and then was angry the next time because she doesn't know this guy, so that would make a little more sense. So I thought that like this is a bit of more of the Tomas's reliance on anger, although that is the theme of this issue, I suppose. I think she is taking it as Bruce is sort of sending him away to other countries and stuff, and trying to control Damien. Although he's a ten-year-old kid at the same time, so and for all she knows that like it was Bruce sending him to acting lessons because all she ever saw was the limo pull up. So that doesn't really make any sense why she then think it was because that, that's the uh tone i got from it was that she was kind of then blaming him saying like you know how dare you say you can't come to acting lessons i was getting good money from that i want my money honey um okay although it's also a bit cute that like uh she has the sort of like hair clip that's green and her red hair that means she was robin once uh okay that that'll, 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 i'll leave uh we'll leave carrie kelly until next month um let's go into another robin jason todd so this is the robin special um, what were you guys thinking about his relationship between him and Bruce, uh, in this issue? I'll let you guys go first before I kind of comment further, but with them working together, which I think is the first time I want to say, gosh, maybe since he's ever been back that, that they've worked together. Um, what were I you think, thinking about it? I thought they did have a team up in Batman. In, in Batman yeah. Rama, where that rocket was going to go off and Damien and Batman all the Robin, it was the, the end part of the Batman, or the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Robin versus Robin yeah. thing. Well, yeah, you know what I kind of mean, like, like a, a two on, you know, a two for solo. I on. thought that Batman came off a lot worse, whereas I thought, I liked the, that they were getting on, but the fact that he was still allowing Jason to use guns, even if he was saying, you know, only shoot them in places that will ruin their lives. Um, don't kill <laughs> supposed them. to take them, yeah. yeah. I didn't like the Jason costume redesign. Like, there was no, unless that was like an editorial mandate thing, they could have sort of slipped in the traditional costume in that bit, but, oh well. I I am not, I get that Bruce is meant to be, you know, sad and angry, but I am really 
haven't enjoyed either of these issues so far with him trying to deal with because I mean surely Jason knows if he knows that the Joker like dictated his like affected his whole life surely he knows that he came back from a Lazarus pit and for him not to know that and for Bruce not to know that doesn't make any sense. Well, I, I guess I'll have to clarify some things since we no longer cover Red Hood and the Outlaws on this this cast. Um, it was explained that during Death of the Family, Jason was he was trying to be corrupted by the Joker by making it him by making it him believe that the Joker actually was the cause for everything. The Joker really had absolutely nothing to do with any of these things. The Joker was just playing it off as he did to get inside the mind of Jason Todd. The end, the last issue of Red Hood and the Outlaws, which was Red Hood and the Outlaws number 19, mm-hmm. or nope, not 19, number 18, had Bruce comforting Jason Todd because of what happened between, uh, with what happened with the, uh, the mask that the, was booby trapped by the Joker that affected Jason's face. In not one of these books, this book or Red Hood and the Outlaws, was it explained how Jason's face healed from some sort of bomb, acid, bath, who knows what. But somehow, it was never explained how his face got fixed, number one. Number two, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 19, last month, it stated at the beginning that it took place after this issue occurred. I read through this issue, obviously, after I read Red Hood and the Outlaws number 19, because there was a three-week time, or there was, yeah, three weeks between the series that this book came out. So I was reading a book that happened in the future, and then going back to the past to read this book. But what didn't make any sense was, in Red Hood and the Outlaws number 19, Jason is on a Wayne Enterprises plane, and it specifically states... Why is Jane, uh, why is Jason Todd on a Wayne Enterprises plane? Read Batman Red Hood number 20 to find out. Well, he says he's taking the cars, so that never made any sense. <laughs> number two, I, we, I said this on the point five cast for those of you out there who are listening to that for all of the other books that we, we, uh, that are part of the Batman universe. I said that it didn't make a whole lot of sense for them to release that after this because it didn't really explain anything. In Batman number Batman and Robin number nineteen, it, it explains that Jason Todd is now, after I guess his encounter with Bruce and this whole situation, he goes to the all cast to actually try to get his mind white. So that he doesn't think he doesn't have any knowledge of anything, as far as he doesn't have any memories of being possibly corrupted by the Joker. He doesn't have any memories of his death, his death from the Joker. Um, his, his feelings towards Bruce and Batman, he's trying, he's going to get it all wiped. And that's what ends up happening at the end of the issue. Obviously, uh, issue number 20, which is coming out, uh, this month and we'll review at the, at the, you'll hear the review at the beginning of June. That is going to be interesting to see how it actually plays out, but none of it's actually explained. And when you read these, when you read them in sequence, this first, then Red Hood and the Outlaws number 19, the books still don't make a lot of sense because there's a lot of things that are kind of iffy. Red Hood and the Outlaws number 18 had Bruce and Jason, like, basically reconciling. They, you know, Jason seemed as if he forgave him. It was, he was the only member of the Bat family who legitimately didn't seem affected by death of the family. 
So then we have Batman and Robin come in, or Batman and Red Hood number 20 come in and basically ruin that entire relationship that Red Hood and the Outlaws Well, I'll disagree with that. Which was one of the few things I found redeemable about that series within the last year. I'll get on to that. But why, why would you disagree with me? Um, well, okay, can I get into it? I mean, that sort of, to me, was like not only the whole death in the family thing, but sort of like their real reconciliation since he came back. And this one, to me, is more of like, you know, Bruce is so up his own ass about Damien's death and trying to bring him back and trying to kind of deal with that loss. I don't think that, like, Jason, granted, you know, bringing him back to the place where he died was really douchey. But I think Jason's decision not to, you know, play by Bruce's rules after a while and says, I'm taking the car, goodbye, Bruce. And kind of like, you know, sending him up like that. I think kind of Jason kind of saw what was eating Batman and kind of decided to leave. I don't, I didn't, I didn't get the, let me start again. I did not get the insinuation that this was, you know, putting them back to square one and they hated each other. I got, I got the idea that Jason was actually being the bigger man by just leaving him there. And I, and I felt like that too. I felt as if Jason was being the bigger man because Bruce is doing, you know, he's in his own little world because of this. He's in his own little world because of what's been happening with him dealing with the grief of Damien. But to me, it just seems as if Jason was trying to point out to Bruce that he went too far by doing this. Yeah, and I, I agree with that too, but I don't think that like... I disagree with the sentiment that this takes back all the goodwill from uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws. I mean, I mean, it does you know, put them in a bad place, but I don't think that like that erases that and they're, you know, this totally ruins it. Because this wasn't, it was just, you know... A fight. It was. It wasn't like the worst thing ever. But it wasn't just the fight. It was also the fact that they kept saying there was a, a number of different mentions about trust. Well, you know, we have you have to build trust, and they they mentioned trust. Like I literally, I think it was at least three different times that one of the or that Jason mentioned to Bruce that Bruce needs to trust people, and it was like three different times, and that was never mentioned in 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 any of the other Red Hood stories. Until this story. And it was just weird because, to me, I was reading it as, why does he keep mentioning this trust thing if it doesn't have to play into Death of the Family? I I, I would just, I just agree to disagree because I, I just disagree with uh, reading into it. I think we just see it differently, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, Stella, you're up. Um, I guess I missed that entire little, uh, little thing there. Uh, but... <laughs> I do have to say that I thought it was very interesting that Jason is the one person that can stand to be around uh, Bruce at this point in time. Um, because as we've seen with everyone else, <clears throat> they do have all of these issues with him, because, which I just don't understand. But because he uh, didn't tell them about Joker, and so this was such a break of trust and fidelity there. Uh, but look at this. I mean, he's like eager to go with, I mean, this is like a far cry from the Jason Todd that I know, you know, the one who hates Bruce and wants to stay away from him. So all of a sudden we have this, like sort of the one guy that, that Bruce can, can look to right now that can actually stand and be around him. And then they had this nice bonding moment and then Bruce has got to go and frack it all up. And then basically ask him, like, the most insensitive question ever, you know, how did you come back to life and bringing him. So it's just, ugh. I, I liked the relationship. I think it was it was really well done. And then to this end point, you're like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? But 
it, it's not the writing. It's just the fact that this is how Bruce is right now. Uh, because if you think about how he was with Tim, it was really bad there. And, and what he did to Frankenstein, basically taking him apart piece by piece to figure out how, how he ticked. He is just far gone, and he is willing to do anything and sacrifice anything to get Damien back. And, you know, if Death of the Family was the coffin, this is getting to be the nail that's just shutting, you know, him off from the rest of the family, which is which is a real travesty. But really, you know, the most interesting part is, is honestly just – the relationship between Jason and him at the very beginning and through the middle, like basically three quarters of it, and that Jason is still willing to be there with him and sort of almost understands why he did what he did in Death of the Family. He may not come right out and say it, but I feel like he he is more forgiving than the others right now. Um, uh, to kind of like, you know, put a quote on the, uh, put a cap on the original question, like, like how do you imagine... How would you think about Batman and Jason working together on this? I this issue, I think, kind of finally gave me closure in the whole debacle of bringing Jason Todd back to life, and I think I'm finally okay with it. And I think that I like that Jason, Jason's back now. <laughs> it took a long time, <laughs> but I think I'm finally over that. I think that wound's finally healed because I, I really, y- y- y'all didn't know me. I really did not like that, but I think that like Jason serves a purpose now, and. I really like the development they've given him, and seeing him work with Batman was sort of like finally that that uh, the healing that uh, I think needed for those closure. Because I have been complaining for a while. This goes back to like you know before New Fifty Two. Um, I complained for a while that Bruce and Jason had, were not interacting since Under the Hood. They just like for one reason or another they just were not interacting. I thought that it never made any sense why Batman wouldn't want to reach out to one of his you know his his, his former dead son. It just was so out of character that he wouldn't do that. And that was because writers weren't wanting to write that story, but, like, they never addressed it. And then in Red Hood and the Outlaws, Scott Lobdell finally did something right. <laughs> I'll take that back. That's a bit mean. But um, he, he had that – I thought that there was, that was a big healing moment between the two of them by sort of having them, you know, having Jason, you know, being uh, helped around by Batman and them kind of, you know, coming to terms with, the, with each other. And so it's a bit still vague why Batman allows somebody to wear a bat symbol on their chest and use guns. But I suppose because it is Jason, he'll, he'll kind of allow it because he was his former partner and son. So in this issue, I saw their, the, you know, them reunite and kind of work together and Jason being very willing to work with Batman. And Batman, you know, saying, you know, like, oh, don't call him. He says, no problem. And then working well together. And then Batman's emotional state, and this is going to lead me to the, to the final uh, 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 talking point, of um, kind of really kind of, you know, saying, hey, you, you want to tell me how you brought back to life? I saw Jason, again, and I kind of reiterating what I told Dustin, I saw, you know, Jason, of course, was angry and wanted to beat him up, but then he was like, you know, Batman said, hit me, hit me, and Jason said, you know what, goodbye, Bruce. I saw that as sort of the final turn, that Jason has kind of had his own experiences. He's been with uh, Roy and, and Starfire. You know, he's been around the world, and he's sort of had this thing where he saw Batman as he was now. Batman's really, really hurting. My, th- So I, I enjoyed uh, the relationship here. My third... Uh, my third uh, talking point, and you guys kind of touched this in your own comments, so you can say whatever comes to mind or you can just kind of skip it, is uh, your thoughts on how Batman was dealing with the anger in this issue. I, I know Joe doesn't like it, but um, if you have anything else to say about how, his, how he was interpreted here, and you know, do you think it's out of character or do you understand it because of his emotional state is basically what I'm getting at. I understand it, but it doesn't relate to any of the other books. 
So I, I, I yeah. The the problem is that none of the other books are really focusing on any of this anger <laughs> slash grieving aspect at all. You know, they had the thing in Batman that we just saw where Clayface tries. You know, he makes it, he taunts Batman in a way, even though it's he doesn't realize who he's actually taunting. He taunts Batman in a way with uh, the the idea of Damien. And, you know, that gets to Batman and they show that it gets to Batman. And they've actually done that in some of, in, in the other books, even in Batman Incorporated, where, you know, certain mentions of Damien, they kind of get to Bruce. But like, the, the emotions that he's feeling in this series are not felt in any of the other books, which makes this not nearly as, as good as it really could or should be. And I think that's because, you know, it's it's underplayed, and the the death of Damien is underplayed in all of these other books, because nobody really wants to talk about it. And this is the one book that is talking about. It. Mm. So you're saying that, like, because because this is the only book where that man's dealing with Damien's death, it makes it. You're saying, like, you know, it's it's not good because it's the only one that is, or is it not as good as it could be because the other ones aren't? I think it could be better if the other ones were at least making him seem like this mad, angry person, or at least trying to somewhat match up the emotions that are popping up each month in this book. Because, I mean, like, we talked about this last month. He is completely out of his mind and desperate. The fact that he goes and he does this thing with uh, with Frankenstein trying and pulls him apart and basically is trying to figure out how he could do the same thing to Damien. And now, you know, he, he does, he you know, he's against... Not nearly as out of his mind as pulling somebody apart, but he's going to rehash horrible memories in a former protege's mind by bringing him to the spot where he died to say, Hey, I was hoping that this would jog your memory so you could tell me how you got brought back to life. It's like, like, it's just so out of character. And you know what? It's fine because of the emotions that they're trying to portray, but the fact that he is not out of his mind in all the other books is kind of letting, it's kind of bringing this book down. And I'm only, I can't even wait to see where it goes from here, what next horrible idea he's going to come up with. We talked about this last month too, like, how come he still has not said, why don't I just bring him to a Lazarus? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> because, again, if now he's talking to Jason Todd and trying to figure out how Jason Todd came back, so I guess that idea that, you know, well, he, we all know that Jason Todd was put into a Lazarus pit because of the Red Hood, the Lost Days miniseries that happened, even though it was never actually explained to Bruce, you would think at some point Bruce would have figured it out, number one. If he did figure it out, if if he did figure out they're wiping that idea or that 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 part of history away and making it as if nobody has any idea how the, how Jason Todd came back to life which is kind of interesting especially since Jason Todd himself doesn't know but again it completely wipes away that mini series that happened not even 5 years ago but then also the other aspect is the, the Lazarus pit is like the most obvious thing the only thing that they could do is isn't uh, Dick going to be the last one he talks to? So yes. Dick is like Dick could just be like, hey, uh, there's this thing I don't know if you heard of it. It's called a Lazarus Pit. I actually put you in it, or at least someone I thought was you in there when you were disappeared through time. Why don't we try that? I mean, it's really just it, I just I keep thinking about it and thinking to myself, this is like 
the fact that he continues to try to find ways to bring Damien back is just mind-boggling because, like, you don't necessarily have to deal with the anger aspect or the anger emotion on the grief scale by trying to, again, figure out how to bring him back. It's one thing if you want to... And, like, even last month, what was the, the emotion? Wasn't it denial? Yes, it was denial. Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was denial, and, like, that denial doesn't necessarily play into the fact of I've got to go pull this Frankenstein monster apart to try to figure out if I can do this to my my son. Like, it just, that's the part of this story that is, is, is really going down for me, is the fact that month in and month out, we are getting him trying to figure out, figure out a reason, but he's an Al Ghul. He's part, Damien is part of the Al Ghul family. You know, they're not negating the history of Batman and Ra's Al Ghul. If it comes out that Batman doesn't know about Lazarus pits, that would just be Oh like, my what? god. <laughs> are you serious? And honestly, that's the only explanation of where what they're doing. I it doesn't make any other sense. How can they sit here and say that, you know, Bruce doesn't know that this is not the most obvious choice? Like we talked about this and somebody I think there was a listener Q and A or a listener who said something about, well, maybe the reason why he's doing this is because he knows that the Lazarus pit has uh negative effects. And that's fine. And my argument to that was, well, that's possible, but we know that Jason Todd was in the Lazarus pit and he was able to be, you know, I guess, tamed back down to a normal person. And if, and, you know, and if he's willing to bring him back as an undead, stitched together green child, then. Yeah. How would it be any different? So. I, I, I take your point that, like, the fact that, like, the Lazarus pits are not even uttered in the book is a problem. So that that I'll, I'll take your point. I, I still don't think that like, he should use him because like it's a bad idea at the end of the day. But you are right in that in that aspect. Well, I don't think they should use him either. But the fact that they're spending so much time for him trying to find out a way to bring him back and they never mention it at all. Even I mean, like legitimately, if it was, I don't want to use the Lazarus Pit because they have bad effects, and we all know what Ra's al Ghul has become because of the Lazarus Pit. So let's stay away from those. Fine, but then just say that so we're not sitting here for five months going, Lazarus Pits, Lazarus Pit. I hate staring at the comic book and saying, Bruce, you're an idiot. How do you not know about this? Well, you know, the obvious answer is sometimes the one that you don't, you don't want to use. So, I mean, maybe it's just the fact, like, Bruce knows. He knows that the Lazarus Pit is the obvious answer, but he's obviously, he's not going to take that route because he knows the bad stuff. That comes with it. Dustin said he'd at least address it so that us as the fans aren't screaming at him. Yeah. Uh, But I I understand your frustrations. I'm with Joe that I I get his, I I wouldn't say it's angst, but just his his anger and his (laughs) depression and just all these emotions that he's going through. Uh, But again, yeah, it's not fitting with the other books. I mean, I think in order, I must have read like Detective Comics, Batman, then Batman and Red Hood. And going from Batman to Red Hood, I was like, hubba what? Because they're like (laughs) two completely different characters. I mean, you read Batman and he's... um, He's intelligent, he's calculating, he's getting the job done, and of course, yeah, he's got that really emotional moment in the end, but it was almost like an emotional moment that you would have maybe a year after a death of somebody that you're speaking ill about them and you go into a rage, whereas all along, he'd be very tender, I think, throughout that entire issue, but then you come over here and he's just, man, he's on edge the entire time, and 
He is. He's pretty crazy. Uh, the, the problem I have with these team-ups, because I think they could be really good, but we're going to start to get into team-ups that, like, there is no reason why there's a char- that character should be teaming up with him. Frankly, Batgirl, I think maybe next, um, and Catwoman, and I'm just thinking to myself, you know, these two had zero relationship to Damien, and it's not just about their relationship with Batman, but I think it also needs to be about what was this character's um, relationship to Damien. So uh, Joe is spot on that if they're going to cap this entire thing off with Nightwing, I think that's going to be the best because they both had such a great relationship with Damien, and he was, of course, Batman at that one point. So this could potentially be his... Um, what are those called when you sit someone down and he's an intervention? <laughs> so this could potentially be like the intervention at the very end where Dick sits him down and tells him, like, you need to stop. But I just don't think that Batgirl has any place in there. I mean, just look at, what was it, like number 18 or something, the death of the family sort of wrap up and, well, and scene, uh her reaction, if you can call it that, to Damien's death. I mean, that that's nothing. And then Catwoman has, like, zero relationship with him. So I feel like that's that's not – it's not going to work out. I mean, the only thing I could say with Catwoman is – I guess this is going off on a tangent. I apologize. Um, I, I do remember her in Hush, and she was sort of this voice of reason for him when he was – when Batman was starting to go off uh, – uh, 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 attacking Joker, so I could see her doing that, but this is, of course, a very different Catwoman. But to get back to the original question, yes, I agree with his emotions. I think that it's fitting, but it is really weird, and it's really jarring to go from one issue or one, I guess, book to the next and it not carry through. But, but Stella Darling, may I ask? Uh-huh. If what what how how exactly do you think that like the people he engages like Batgirl and Catwoman, how would their relationship or none to speak of with Damien relate towards their involvement in the issue? Because they're trying to talk to Batman. Yeah, but don't you think if you understand what he's going through, or if you had some sort of personal a connection with the person who has been lost, you would be able to better speak on that. Like, I feel like they have no expertise. Bad girl uh, can walk in and say, I'm sorry you lost your son, but she didn't really know him. Stephanie Brown, if she went up and talked to him, it'd be a completely different story because she had a really great connection with Damien. I'd say that as... Well, I know it's not going to happen. <laughs> I'd say that as evidenced by Batman and Red Robin, just because it has... Batgirl on the title doesn't mean that she's going to have anything significant to put towards in the issue. Yeah, which I guess is what, yeah, like Tim, I mean, he swooped in in the last few pages, basically. I mean, this was a more significant uh, team-up, I would say, with Jason. But I just feel like they need to, I, I feel like you need to know the person to be able to talk them down somewhat. Okay, well... I just want to say that, like, I just happen to disagree with Stella. I don't think that the people need to know. I don't think the people need to be pen pals with Damien to be in the issue. I, I, I think as long as they know Bruce, which we're assuming that she does, although who the hell knows, then you know that's the reason why they're there. I don't think they need to know Damien. I just disagree with that. Um, and again, I, I see how Bruce is being kind of unlikable in these issues, but kind of like how Stella was back when they were fighting Nobody, I recognize the need for Bruce to be kind of approachingly out of character 
But I think that, like, in terms of, like, what happened to him, and I said this last issue, that I think it works. I think that, like, what he did to Jason was really, like, really bad. But it makes, I think, I think Bruce Wayne would do that in this situation that, that his 10 year old Damien is dead. And I don't, I don't begrudge Samasi for putting that in there. I don't think that this destroys Bruce's character. I don't think that this necessarily destroys his relationship with Jason. And I thought that it was strong medicine, but I thought that it fit the issue. It fit the, the, t- the tone of rage. Although this is a really emo book at times, I gotta say. But I thought that it worked. And, um, I'm glad that we all disagree because it was for a healthy discussion. But, uh, I didn't have a problem with that. And, um, <laughs> it, those are my thoughts on that. Okay. So, you know how Tim, we kind of portrayed him, or we thought he was portrayed as this fanboy when he first came along. Do you think it would have been different, though? Would it have been a stronger position for him had he known Jason when he died and then come up to... I mean, how, how do you differ Tim's approach in the very beginning with Bruce and Dick's approach, who actually knew Jason and was with him? Um, you're comparing... Okay, so you're like, for these issues, you're saying, like, you know, well, Tim didn't know Jason, but he came into there. Are you saying... Because you, you said you didn't really care for that. Um, are you saying that, like, this is the same, kind of same scenario where, where, like, you know, sort of avoid that negative a- aspect about the story if they need to? I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I find them totally synonymous. Oh, well, just the thought that they didn't know the person who died, but they're going up there and they're trying to give Batman a pep talk. And I see that as Tim because Tim recognized that a Robin died, but he didn't know him personally. But he was trying to give Batman a pep talk, whereas Dick knew Jason to a certain extent. Well, in fairness, that was kind of different because Tim was more of like, you know, you need a Robin rather than, I'm sorry, your, your ward died. Um, I mean, just hypothetically, if any one of you guys' friends had died, I would give my sympathies and do what I can to help in any way. But I wouldn't – I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think that's something that you know I wouldn't have the right to do just because I didn't know the person. You know, I'm kind of approaching like that. Like, you know, would, would, would people do this? Would Barbara Gordon actually try to help Bruce Wayne? Well, at least she would because she's, she's totally written like a bad, bad woman. But um, I think in these days that, like, it, it makes sense for the Bat family to try to do that for Bruce Wayne. Maybe not after the death of the family, but, like, I don't, I don't see it as being, you know, kind of negligible because they just didn't know Damien as well. I, I, just, I just happen to disagree. All right, so Batman Robin number 20, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five Batman. Jesus. <laughs> um, Batman and Red Hood number 20, uh, my favorite issue of the Batman and Red Hood series. I will give four out of five batarangs. I thought that this issue sucked, but I wasn't sure if what? it was... Uh, I don't think it was necessarily that issue. I think it's just that I didn't like what was in it. Um, I've got to say quickly, I think that I blame Alfred for the majority of why I hate this book, because if why? he did, like Bruce asked in Batman Inc., and, oh, and shut went away for a vacation, down. then he never would have oh. opened the door to Carrie Kelly. So, <laughs> <laughs> Lousy Hobson. Um, yeah. So, uh, I agree. I was the Two out of five batterings. Um, you know, I think it, it, it had its good moments, uh, and, and I particularly think that the, the Jason and Bruce stuff at the beginning was good, and I was pleasantly surprised that at least one person <laughs> was giving him the benefit of the doubt after the DOTF, uh, business, death of the family, that is. Um, 3.5. Out of five. All right, so that's going to give Batman and Robin number 20 a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our last book, Detective Comics number 20. What have you got for me? Detective Comics number 20, written by John Lehman with art by Jason Fabick. 
The issue opens with Ogilvy robbing a bank and openly taunting Batman before we jump forward to that night where Batman is crashing through the gates of Cobblepot's former home in the Tumblr, ready to take down Ogilvy. We see Ogilvy's, Ogilvy's silhouette in the front door, but on the next page we see that he has clearly taken the man bat serum as he stands over Batman, who has been beaten to a bloody pulp. We cut to earlier that day. Cobblepot has managed to worm his way out of any charges, but Alfred is keeping an eye on him. He calls Batman to tell him the news, and also that, Cabal, that Cobblepot keeps referring to Ogilvy. As it happens, Batman is currently interrogating Mr. Mosaic on that very subject. We cut back to the night where Ogilvy is beating the crap out of Batman before he hangs him by his neck and goes inside to discuss his transfer of power with the mayor. Outside, Cobblepot turns up and releases Batman from his chain noose. Batman bursts in on Ogilvy, covering him in acid, electrocuting him and gassing him. Ogilvy doesn't care, however, because even though he's been defeated, he was at one time the number one in all of Gotham. Cobblepot shoots him in the face, but apparently, even with a flaming head, he's fine. In the epilogue, Cobblepot has renamed the children's centre in Martha Wayne's name, stating to Bruce, who happened to be driving by, that when he went to Gotham's, that when he went for Gotham's adoration, he became a target. So it's back to the shadows. We then zoom out to see the new villain of the book. In the backup, written by John Layman with art by Andy Clark, we start to we start by learning that Ogilvy is what Bruce Wayne could have been, as we find out that both his parents were shot dead outside the Monarch Theatre. We then cut to the present, where at where a Blackgate guard is telling Ogilvy that the boss wants to see him but we quickly find out that the boss is not the warden, but a fellow inmate. The boss wants to know why Ogilvy stabbed Penguin in the back, and we learn more and more of his origin, in that his dad was a Gotham criminal who never rocked the boat, but was still shot because of his gang affiliations. Ogilvy grew up working for the Penguin until he became his right-hand man, was, until he became his right-hand man but was tired of not rocking the boat and decided to own it. The boss is impressed, but says that Ogilvy will have to get used to working for him, at which point Ogilvy strangles him to death. As Ogilvy returns to his cells, he mentions his new moniker, Emperor Blackgate. So, the main thing that I wanted to wonder is if the rest of you agree with me that this is a return to Tony Daniel-level writing. Ouch. <laughs> um, I would say that it's, it, it actually kind of like was very anticlimactic and didn't really put a nice end onto the Ogilvy saga. But I don't know if I would say it was Tony Daniel bad. Although, I can start seeing some similarities now that I'm thinking about it. I can see some similarities, but I think that it... When you look at this and how long this story has actually been going on, it all connected back very well. The fact that, you know, he took the man-bat serum, but it was also that he got some sort of serum from Poison Ivy, which ties back into uh, Ogilvy dealing with Poison Ivy and saving her in, the, in uh, the, one of the past issues. They also mention uh, the fact that he had Venom in his system, which doesn't necessarily tie into another issue of Detective Comics, but brings Bane, Bane into the, the picture as well. I thought it was kind of cool how you know he's basically became this conglomerate of all of these different chemicals that have been in the Batman universe for a very long period of time, but he's basically done this. The fact that he has no problem taking out Batman is kind of interesting, because realistically, if it wasn't for Batman spraying a bunch of chemicals on him, which I don't understand why Batman didn't do that in the first place, 
Ogilvy, you know, had no problem taking Batman out, which was, you know, that's not something you see every day. You know, we've seen that with Bane, obviously, but there's not very many villains that they show on a normal basis that, are, that can actually physically take Batman I out. I disagree. So that was, I thought that was... I think cool. that you quite okay, often yeah. see Batman get taken down, at least at first, and then he has to fight his way back. And mm-hmm. and I think that's I think that's true in some regards, but when you look at the main villains that they use all the time, or that they have used, Penguin, Riddler, Penguin. Joker... Pe- when you when you when you keep looking when you look at all of these different characters that they've used since the new 52 has began besides the occasional henchman who you know knocks Batman down and, and slowly Batman has you know take them out nothing none of them are actually none of them have actually been physical I don't I can't recall and correct me if I'm wrong but I don't recall any fights that he's had outside of that one that I completely ignore that happened in the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight book, with uh, his interaction with Bane, where he actually was physically I taken think down. There was a lot with the Talons. There was a lot of that. Uh, yeah. Well, that's true. Um. Well, I I am a big big. My favorite crossover Bat- Batman's is Nightfall. So, in terms of taking down Batman and you know being the top dog in Gotham, which that story did, I would say that like, this is like. I'm not sure how you're seeing this, but I want to say this is nowhere as near comparable. And, I, and I'm kind of surprised that, that Ogilvy kind of sees it as it is. Oh, I knocked out Batman for five minutes. I rule. And uh, I mean, it was actually kind of a cool scene that, you know, Batman hung like that. That was kind of a nice, not a nice image, but, you know, kind of a really interesting image. But he was, I mean, he was, he kind of, he kind of had the upper hand and was beaten immediately. I don't know. It, it like, I was surprised that, like, that was sort of the end of him, like, he wasn't smarter than that, or that he it basically all came down to a fist fight between him and Batman, which I'm not I'm not saying it's a terrible thing, but like it's certainly no. But but you're looking over the fact that he, the reason why he was able to just have a fist fight with Batman was because he strategically planned himself becoming this new you know this new creature Nightcrawler by incorporating all of these different things. Yeah, I think that. I think that the story is really good, and I like what John Lehman did. I just think that the actual writing, especially the dialogue, is isn't good. I kind of I flip flop between what's terrible and tolerable. Like I'm looking at a line here: uh, "Surrender and end this peacefully, or I come in and you end up in pieces," which is very. I mean, the infamous "a bloodbath" line. It's kind of reminiscent of that. <laughs> um, there's a lot of very exposition. Expositional writing in here, like a uh, penguin saying, "What was it? Uh, your armor protected you long enough for me to rescue you." Whereas, like, Very we can clearly see that he's fine. Yeah. So there's a lot of that, which I just, I think it's bad dialogue. But I, I think the plot is good, but I think the the dialogue isn't. Um, I'm sorry. What was the original point? Can I get back on topic? Oh, oh, but, what did? Sorry, I muted. Did this suck or not? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like I was disappointed in this a little bit. I didn't hate it, but like, I thought that like at the end of the day, it's like you know, let me take drugs and then I'll be Batman. You know, say no to drugs, kids. Don't, don't be like Emperor Ogilvy because he's in jail now. I mean, it's just it just you know, he did all this planning and took down the Penguin and quote unquote ruled Gotham City for two seconds and um, then he got his ass kicked by Batman. It's like I I mean, like, I suppose that's what you want to do. But, like, he was so happy at the very end until he got shot in the face. And 
I don't know. It's like I I I thought that the the kids' priorities would take a bit more precedent over doing actual stuff like maybe ruling Gotham and then ruling Metropolis or something like that. Like it it ended up being like that his goals weren't really all that big compared to other characters. You know, it sort of it reminds me a lot of like uh, really bad rappers who said they're the, they're the greatest of all time. I'm looking at you, Drake, and like they all they've done is had like one hit song. It's like you're lacking particular perspective, you know, with, with minor victories. And I, I don't really understand why a guy seemingly as smart as Ogilvy would really find pleasure in that. It kind of seems out of character for him. Uh, I was kind of flip-flopping with this because, like, every, someone would come up and thought, that is terrible. Like, Penguin, like, uh, Ogilvy taking Batman down instantly. And I, I'm like, okay, well, I guess it was a surprise and Batman wasn't fighting as hard on as he could as he did when he um, took him down the second time Penguin freeing him is like well you could leave Batman to die but I guess you know he's never going to get his house back with Ogilvy in it if Batman's not there to help him so it's sort of like I was like I went in going oh this is I hate this and then I got lessened by what happened a couple of pages later but I still yeah I I think that it could it does feel a bit anticlimactic but I'm not sure how else it could have been handled because it's been a fairly long story, and I think it's it's been a good one. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed Ogilvy's rise to power and how it's not always been at the forefront, and we've had other stories going on, and he's sort of been in the background dealing with this and and building his power. I like that, and like Dustin was talking about, I like how he's kind of made a conglomerate of uh, you know like the poison ivy and bane and the man bat serum. So I like that aspect but it does feel a bit like I don't know how it could have been done like in, if it, I don't think it could have been stretched over more than one issue it's just it it fell a bit flat <laughs> I guess we could quickly talk about the backup I mean like he's now it seems to be his catchphrase is no not this name emperor this but now that he's I think what it is is he's just going to be emperor that's his thing is mm-hmm. going to be He's going to be the emperor of whatever he's in. He's over at that point in time. I think that's ultimately what it comes to: is that you know, if he gets out of, if he gets out of Blackgate and he goes somewhere else, if someone decides to use him again in the future, you know, he'll become the emperor of a different something else. I think what it really is is that you know he's, and I honestly I think this is a character that they could use that someone else could use in the future, because I think. He's because the the idea of oh my name is not this it's this I think the emperor aspect is kind of cool because it could really just show he could be the character who's just trying to take down the villains just to say he took down the villains yeah he took down Batman for five minutes and he, as he said he was happy with that because in the history books that don't actually exist it'll say that Bat, that you know Ogilvy took down Batman you know even if it was for a very short amount of time so. In my mind, he's the perfect character to actually have out there to like take out other villains, and that could be really interesting, especially with his new power set. So, I think that uh, you know, Blackade is just this new thing that he's doing. Although it really wasn't obviously that difficult for him to become the Emperor of Blackade by killing the one guy who was in charge, who we never even the knew boss who he was in the first place. The that boss. was wasn't there a, a character called the Bull? Or was that just in Spider-Man? I don't remember. This guy says, you know, 
I'm not aware of a character who will pretend it was Spider-Man and also pretend to be. Well, I do have to say that. Was it just me or did the the design of Ogilvy remind you of Green Goblin? I don't mean Nightcrawler. I don't read Spider-Man, so... Nightcrawler? I don't know, man. Don't read X-Men either. Expand <laughs> your literature horizon. Yeah. Um, I do have a... I do have a comment. Uh, if Joe, we're going to talk about the um, the rather um, endowed woman at the very end of the last page of the main story. She's a really. I'm looking at her costume now, and like she has, she's armored everywhere except for her chest, where like it just shows her bra. Like what the hell? The fresh hell I think is it's this? an armored bra, but she wants to show her dad. Her admin is yeah. Just a small uh, art point. I get really annoyed because in the background of that one panel, you see Wayne Towers. And of all the buildings to have neon, that's the one that has like, an like one of the neons stopped working. You would have thought they get right on that. But, well. Ah, but the R is not working, which means that Robin is gone. Symbolism. <laughs> not really. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> didn't they? Didn't wasn't that? That wasn't a hush. Or no, no, the hush had a gag where it's like, like it spelled out Robin. It was Robinson, but it spelled out Robin, and it was like, ah, Jason Todd's going to be back. And then, like a few issues later, he came back. By the way, it was Clayface. That was like ten years ago. No, but wasn't there something that the uh, the Harper Rowe? Harper Rowe. So we blame Harper Rowe for this. Yeah. No, wasn't there something Harper Rowe did with some book? Yeah, and, uh, there was a thing on on Wayne Tower. She turned all the lights on, so he said ah, oh, and we were trying to wonder if that meant Robin or Requiem, and we had no idea. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know if you guys had any interesting things to say about this character. I mean, I, I guess you can't. But um, she's just like a superhuman character. You know, she has, like, you know, these holographic arms. Um, she wants to kill people. That's not very nice. I immediately thought when I saw this that I thought it was Tarantula. And it was just like a New 52 version. I don't know what the deal is with the arms, but, you know, maybe this is just what they're going to do. I, otherwise, it's a brand new character. I Again, if it's... If it's a new character, I don't know why they need to make another new character when they have characters that they have already, they're already out there that they could be utilizing, but that's what I thought when I first saw I would have thought that if it was a recurring character, they'd have like a, you know, next issue, the new 52s or like just the introduction of, but possibly not. I don't think that character, I don't think that character was big enough to really warrant next issue. The introduction of the new 52 Tarantula. No one wants to hear her. After what happened at Nightwing, there's not a single person who wants to see her again. So, Detective Comics number 20, I will give a total of 4 out of 5 bad ratings. Uh, derp, derp, derp. Um, I don't know. This had a lot of Penguin in it, so I probably shouldn't like it. Uh, it, it was okay. Um, I'll give it 3 out of 5 bad ratings. Yeah, I think the best thing about this issue was uh, Andy Clark's artwork. So I'll give this a three out of five batterings. I thought that this was actually the best issue of the lot that we had. For whatever reason, that normally doesn't happen. Um, four out of five batterings. All right, so Detective Comics number 20 gets a total of three and a half out of five batterings. That is all of the comic book reviews. Let's throw it over to John with Bat Books for Beginners. Hello, 
Hello and welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm your host, John. And this episode, we are taking a look at the Road to No Man's Land Detective Comics run. This is entitled Fight or Flight and was written by Chuck Dixon and features art by William Rosado. It was released between December 1998 and February 1999, and it covers issues 727, 728, and 729. Like the other issues from Road to No Man's Land, this hasn't been collected in a trade paperback, but again, you can pick this up quite cheaply on eBay. So, is this going to be any good, or will this leave me wishing I was on the highway to hell? Let's find out as we dig into the Detective Comics issues of Road to No Man's Land. We open with Nightwing, Oracle and Robin exclaiming that Batman has never had to fight someone as tough as the United States Congress. They watch as Gotham is declared a no-go zone. We then cut to Firefly stood on top of a building declaring that Gotham needs his fire. He begins by attacking a group of environmental officers who are investigating a toxic spill. The resulting explosion is felt in the city tower where Oracle and the others are and they head out to tackle Garfield Linz. As this is happening, we see Detective Bullock and Bontoya preparing to try and bring in Firefly. We then move back to the scene of the fire, where a badly burnt Firefly emerges after being caught in the blast. He then attacks some firemen who are trying to stop the fire spreading. Robin Knight and Nightwing swing in to try and stop him, but Firefly gets away. Garfield heads for an oil refinery in the hope he can spread the fire over the entire city. Robin tells Nightwing to keep him busy whilst he runs off and does something. Nightwing takes on Firefly, but before he can take him down, Bullock and Montoya arrive, nearly getting hit by Firefly using his flamethrower. However, a shot from the National Guard member cuts the line to the flamethrower, causing Garfield to gasp in flames. But before it can spread, Robin turns up with a cement mixer and dumps it onto Garfield, putting the flames out. And the issue ends with Nick Scratch saying that Gotham needs some new chaos and his minions reveal the Dynamiter, Tumult, Gearhead and the Assassin that we saw last episode in the Batman series. 728 opens with a military vehicle exploding and someone laughing at the National Guard. Turns out to be the Dynamiter, in a mask hurling explosives at them. He's easily taken down by Robin and Nightwing, and as they swing off, they are watched by some of Scratch's demons. We then move to Nick Scratch, who is watching a number of TVs where Gotham is burning or being protested against. The comic then cuts back to Bullock and Montoya interrogating the Dynamiter, claims the devil made him do it. We then move to Tumult, who is attacking the city hall and trying to bring it down using his jackhammer. Whilst this is happening, Jim Gordon is returning from applying for a job in another city when he and Sarah Essen are attacked by some of Scratch's thugs. They use a truck to try and ram him off the road. 
Jim shoots at the truck. However, it appears that the attackers get away. Meanwhile, it appears that Tumult has also gotten away by digging a hole. However, Nightwing and Robin are hot on his trail. They fight and Tumult is taken down by his own attempts to create a cave-in. And the issue concludes with Dick and Tim being watched by a man in a metal suit. 729 opens with Scratch screaming at his demons to find Bruce Wayne, who he failed to kill in the Batman series we reviewed last episode. Meanwhile, Robin and Nightwing are patrolling unaware they are being watched by Gearhead, the man in the metal suit. We then move to Gordon, who is addressing the remaining detectives. He tells them that they will be retaking each precinct one at a time and expanding outwards. While this is happening, Nightwing swats what he thinks is a bug, but it turns out it's a mechanical insect sent by Gearhead, which electrocutes him. He then also takes out Robin and kidnaps Dick, telling Robin to tell Batman to meet him under the bridge. While this is happening, a man in a red hood is encouraging people to swarm across the last bridge out of Gotham and into America. However, when Robin tries to contact Batman, he is unable to locate him, and Oracle can't either, forcing Robin to deal with the situation himself. Whilst this is happening, the man in the red suit forces his way across the bridge with a large group of other people, but he is knocked from the bulldozer he is riding on by a flying stone and falls into the river. Robin manages to free Nightwing before Scratch's goons show up and they escape under garden fire. However, it turns out that they're not there for Robin and Nightwing, but for Gearhead. In the ensuing gunfight, the dynamite placed under the bridge by the guards on the instructions of Congress is hit and it blows up the last bridge out of Gotham. The issue ends with Joker returning to Gotham, killing some of Scratch's guards, and Tim and Dick discover that Wayne Manor has been ploughed into the ground and that Dick says that the game has changed. I thought overall this was an interesting series. It was nice to see how Robin and Nightwing are dealing running Gotham alone and the problems that they face and that everything that's going on in all the other comics is having a wider impact on the area. I thought the writing of them once again was very well done and is very effective. Chuck Dixon, as I've said a number of times, really does know how to write characters really, really well. And when he gets them spot on, he really gets them spot on. However, I do have a couple of issues with it. I think that the villains in this are rather weak and poorly done. I don't know much about them. Gearhead, I know, has encountered Batman before, but the Dynamiter and Tumult seemed like new villains, and I don't really understand why we had to have them in the comics. Granted, I suppose maybe they could turn up and they've been around before, but I don't know that much about them, and they weren't particularly interesting doing what they were doing, nor were they particularly effective. They just seemed to be a really pathetic distraction. To be honest, my main issue is still with Nick Scratch. He seems like an idiot. He said that he wanted to bring a new kind of chaos to Gotham and to really try and bring it to his knees. Well, in that case, just empty Arkham Asylum. That's a prison full of psychopaths who will go on a murderous rampage and really show Gotham up for being terrible and for being an awful place to live, and a real nightmare. But instead, no offence to Firefly, they release Firefly, Gearhead, Tumult, and the Dynamiter. 
it's hardly a roll call that strikes fear into anybody. I would have much rather have seen perhaps the Joker come back. Or even if they'd released Clayface, the Riddler, Poison Ivy, Mr. Freeze. These are all mass murderers. These are all people who will cause problems in Gotham and will show Gotham up for being the terrible, terrible place that it's meant to be. And that's what he wants to encourage them. He just seems to come up with these half-baked ideas that I really have an issue believing he's even a half-credible supervillain. He isn't intimidating like Ra's al Ghul. He isn't a genius like Vandal Savage. Heck, he isn't even dangerous like some of the demons that they've faced before. This was just not very, very good. And I don't think Nick Scratch is that convincing a villain at all in any shape or form. However, I do think that this does a really very good job of setting up what's happening and what's going to happen in No Man's Land. We see Gordon being stuck here because he can't find another job and Sarah Essen saying that they will stay. We see the setting up of what's going to eventually turn into the big gang warfare in Gotham, which basically sets up the entire of No Man's Land. So overall, I think this is a very nice prequel. It sets everything up nicely. However, I would be hard-pressed to say that beyond that, anything really majorly interesting happens. So I'm going to give this three and a half out of five Batarangs. If you find it cheap, I would probably pick it up, but I wouldn't say this is an essential read. So that's everything for this episode next time we will be doing the final section of road to no man's land where we'll be taking a look at the shadow of the bat issues and reviewing them if you have any comments questions or concerns do feel free to leave a comment either under the comic cast feed on the website or under the bat books for beginners feed on the website and I will make sure that I read them and read them out on the next podcast. So, I've been John. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll hand you back over to Dustin and the guys. All right, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Let's get into our listener Q&As. We have one email, and... It says, hey TVU, first off, I have to say that you really got me good on the April Fool's Day wedding special. How long in advance were you planning <laughs> it? It was, it was brilliant. Is there something oh, between boy. Don and Stella, though, or are you just soulmates or something because you two are seriously insane? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, so let's, let's address oh. that first. Well, we, we, we did plan this for obviously quite some time. It all stemmed from a comment that, uh, John made on, in the comment section of the five year anniversary special that posted at the beginning of January. Uh, he posted that and there were some comments from some people when he posted that, that kind of led to him coming up with the idea to do it. And then in turn, uh, trying to get Don and Stella to agree to do it. And then we knew exactly the, he wrote up the script and the schedule for everything. And then we pretty much just recorded it. And he did all of the editing and making it sound as if it was actually real. 
So if you did think it was real, I'm, I'm glad that you thought it was real, and that was pretty much all John's doing except for all of us just really participating. As for Don and Stella actually being soulmates or something, I have long said for a long oh, period boy. of time that these two, these two, agree with each other way too much. Way too we much even for soulmates. Here. Way way too much for even soulmates mm-hmm. or actually a couple. Because we, as anybody who has actually been in a serious relationship knows, you have to argue in order to make your relationship better. <laughs> God knows. And you. these two, they agree way too much. So it's almost as if they're brother and sister, not so much soulmates or an item that they just don't want. To well, <laughs> we all know that. We all know that Stella wants the D. Don't have been drinking. Uh, well, I, I, I'll comment on this a little bit, and, and if, if Stella uh, disagrees, she can come in because yeah, I think we, we disagree sometimes. I mean, yeah, we did we, this show. We did this show. You know, we disagree on who our favorite. We're agreeing about are. disagreeing, <laughs> and we disagree about Robotech. <laughs> well, yeah, we do. <laughs> I think I think the most romantic interview we've ever had was last year in Comic Con, where we were crossing the street and I accidentally touched her butt and which uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <gosh>. happened. <laughs> I can't believe you brought that up. Yes, I stopped suddenly, and that's what happened. And the fact that he still remembers that is probably sign a sign in some. He also touched Josh's butt. All right, so let's. <laughs> All right, so moving along. Uh, anyway, I was listening to the aftercast, and I agree with what you said about the New 52, how the New 52 has changed Barbara for the worse. I wanted to say that they did make a passing mention to how the she got cured, though. In issue four, Barbara is talking to Elisa about their best Christmas gifts, and she says that a year ago, Jim told her about a new clinic in South Africa, and that she went and got cured there. Beckel number five then said that she got some kind of neural implant surgery. I wish they would have elaborated more, though. Have a good one, and thanks for the awesome podcast, Charlie. Well, I'll say yes. I, we do remember the fact that they did say that she went to a clinic in South Africa, and we do remember the neural implant thing that they mentioned as well, but the fact that it was literally less than a panel or less than a sentence inside of a panel mention means they really haven't discussed it, in my opinion. I understand that it is some kind of thing that they, that, you know, that they tried to make something up, but when you literally ask normal readers, hey, uh, have they explained in the back row book how she can walk again? They're probably going to say, no, I don't think they have. Um, and that's, that's what's going to happen. Otherwise, they'll say, no, I, I, maybe they have, but I stopped reading it about 10 issues ago, so. Um, but, but I always, fine. I never forgot that comment, you know, I, I went to Africa, <laughs> I went to Wakanda, <laughs> take a shot, and, uh, they, they cured my back. And, like, it was such an offhanded, you know, comment that it, it flew so low under the radar that, like, I was really, really irritated to the idea that that would be the, the explanation. And Simone's never actually come out and said that was the explanation, so, I don't know. And, honestly, if that has anything to do with it, then I think that's sort of weak sauce because, it's such, it's such a, it's such an uninteresting sort of like, you know, unassuming explanation as, you know, if, if, my thing is that like, if they could either have said at the very beginning that she had surgery for years and eventually be able to walk, or there needs to be a big thing because there was a huge thing in the pre-New 52 why she couldn't walk, you know, people said that she's paralyzed forever and can Brainiac make her walk again or whatever, so 
either explain it at the very beginning, which they have not, or make it big. Don't make it this whole, oh, I went to Africa, and that's why I can walk again. Because I think that's just kind of lame. What a what a way to throw out a comment like that, though. I mean, just to throw it, touch upon it, and then weave without any explanation. And that, I think, is the most frustrating thing. Um, You're not talking about like, because... the whole walking and then touching your butt thing, are you? Oh, huh? oh. The, no, the, uh, no, the the whole <laughs> what <sorry>. in the <laughs> world? <laughs> what are you so focused wow. on this? He's so thinking <laughs> about what it. What in the world? Oh my goodness! I was confused. Uh, we're talking about Batgirl right now. Um, goodness. <laughs> okay, uh, just the whole you know that there is this clinic and that we still have it. You know, a year later, we still have no idea sort of her history her history and how her her healing came about and um uh, will it ever be i mean simone said you know after she was fired for the brief second she was fired that she had everything she has everything mapped out and and a good explanation of the history but i don't know if we'll ever see it but anyway that's all our listener q a's hopefully next episode we'll have a bunch more listener q a's um, so give us your thoughts on the books that we covered this episode as well as the books that you read, obviously, before we post this episode, um, because we normally record these on a Monday night and post them on a Friday. So the books you should be have already been able to read that we'll be reviewing on the next episode prior to us recording. So leave your thoughts on those books and maybe we'll talk about it in the next episode as well. So with that, that is everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news related to not only the comics, but also movies, TV, merchandise, and the video games. Also, check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer on the website. There are There's literally at least two different episodes from the wide range of podcasts that we have on the website. There's at least two episodes that are posting every single week, so be sure to check that out. There is, in fact, a new episode of TVU Collected that is posted the same time this episode has posted, dealing with Batman Year 100, so check that out. In addition to that, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos related to the Batman Universe. Join our Facebook group to discuss all of the events within the Batman Universe with other Bat fans. You can also leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And you can always comment or leave questions for this episode either by emailing us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net or leaving your comment in the comment section below the episode post. With that, that's everything. This is, <laughs> this is Don. This is Jai. This is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys. Watch your time. hands, boys. Nobody remember when that was popular? <clears throat> oh, no, I remember. Thanks for bringing it back. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say it with fondness. Uh, for some reason, Superman reminded me of Nicolas Cage. In this movie? Which, yeah. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> so this What's, is, this is like an adaptation this? of like that Tim Burton Superman movie that was never made. That, oh. <laughs> I like Tim Burton, and 
I like Nicolas Cage for the most part. I don't like I don't but, like either one of them. And <laughs> you and I are no longer friends. <laughs> well, that's okay. I'll take your letter of resignation after we record. <laughs> I don't even know what I was going to say anymore. I don't really care, to be honest. <laughs> I was Joel, come on. Of course you know. We were all looking for your wisdom to actually tell us the answer. Come on, British man. Tell us what we need to know. Well, uh, the inside scoop is that. I don't know. Um... Has anyone been checking the Twitter feed? Like, has Gil Simone said anything about it? I stopped following Gil Simone a long time ago because I couldn't uh, really, I, I really didn't like my Twitter feed being jam-packed with her extreme liberal thoughts. <laughs> awesome. But, uh, you know, that's just me. But um, What doesn't make sense is Bruce's kind of lie, whereas, like, it would have been so much better. Like, oh, where's Damien? Where is he? And he just goes, he's dead! <laughs> 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 he shows her a picture of his body. Oh, word. Should have called the cops. <laughs> so clearly, listeners, our staff has taken some happy pills tonight when we started this podcast. So I apologize on behalf of the family. I see stars. Oh man, Joe. <laughs> that, was, that was good. That was funny. <laughs> Oh, okay. The wheels on this bus go round and round. Off the track. But Stella, what would oh, happen? <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> what would happen if Batman and Batgirl or Batman and Robin number 21 comes out and somehow DC editorial decided that they were going to rework past continuity and pretend <laughs> as if Barbara Gordon was Stephanie Brown? Fuck that shit! <laughs> Stephanie was Stephanie Brown the entire time. No, that the Barbara Gordon was Stephanie Brown, and that the relationship between Stephanie Brown and Damien is actually in New Fifty Two continuity, going to be all of that took place, but it was actually Barbara Gordon. It's just still acquaintance of a lie. Um, does that mean that none of the pre New Fifty Two like stuff happened where Steph was? With Damien and sort of teaching him how to be a real kid. Just pretend as if Stephanie never Uh existed. And enter Barbara Gordon in every single one of those stories. Oh, I see. Okay. Barbara Gordon has two fathers. (laughs) One, the Lord one, Jim Gordon. The other one, Clue Master. (laughs) Um... Well, then, yeah, it could work. Is Is that what DC is trying to tell us? I mean, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm He's just trying to get you like, mad. <laughs> You're never going to no, get a job at no, DC no, with this attitude, Justin. No, because the the idea that you were stating was, you know, I don't understand why Barbara Gordon has any aspect because she has no connection to Damien, which I, I agree. That's 100% true. I don't disagree with that statement whatsoever. But, and then you, you made a statement like, well, if it was Stephanie Brown, it would make sense because she had a relationship with Damien. And I and I'm just saying. Well, what if DC decided to say we don't want to address Stephanie Brown whatsoever? So we're going to pretend as if Barbara Gordon has had this relationship, the exact same thing that Stephanie Brown has had with Damien. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Like, it, like it's just that's what they're going to do. It's it's not. 
I don't think that this is actually what they're going to do. I'm just saying, like, how would you feel as if this actually was the case? Because it almost seems as if, you know, it was almost the the Batgirl issue that dealt with, that was part of the um, death of the, or the the Requiem, the Requiem, the the cover with her crying. And then in the actual issue, she doesn't even stop for a moment to even contemplate it other than to call Dick and Dick say he can't talk about it. So she's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to move on to do whatever. And that was the end of it. And that was proof positive that she has absolutely no, she's had absolutely no relationship with this character. But knowing that they have no use, that they have no uh, immediate use of Stephanie Brown and Stephanie Brown is probably one of the one characters outside of Dick Grayson who had a strong relationship with with uh, mm-hmm. Damien, what would you think if they decided to play it off as Barbara Gordon was this person who had this strong relationship with Damien, just as Stephanie did, even though she never mm-hmm. actually did? It'd be believable, but they already sort of messed it up because because of that requiem. Um, I think if they were to state it from the very beginning, if they had interactions before, um, I mean, even any, I, I feel like they didn't even talk to each other in Death of the Family. She probably just talked to Dick and Bruce. Or Jason, but not well, really ever to Damien. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she are. didn't really. Yeah, she didn't really talk to him at all. It's just sort of the same way it was pre New Fifty Two. I mean, she only had like these small interactions with him. She was mostly talking with Steph. If they had stuff leading up to it, that'd be fine, and I would believe it. But if they are to put that on us now, uh, it's it's not going to work for me. I mean, I don't know if it would be okay for a new reader who's never read the Stephanie Brown series. I mean, I'm sure it'd be believable, but for me, knowing everything, and even if I erase all the Stephanie Brown stuff, just looking at Requiem, I don't think I would believe it at all if they would try to put that history on her. Plus, she'd have to be Batgirl and Oracle at the same time. Yeah. Okay, so then let's look from the completely opposite perspective and say... Peter Tomasi somehow was be, was able to slip a story in without Dan DiDio <laughs> reading it. <laughs> and, and it was actually Stephanie mm-hmm. Brown and <laughs> Backroll. Wouldn't that be so much better? Okay. I'm I would find him and suck his <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know we like Stephanie Brown, but I don't know that I would pursue uh, like, This is my thanks to you. No, no, no. <laughs> it, is, oh, it is way too late over there in the UK. <laughs> Clearly. Okay, we are going to move on from there. Okay. Um, <sighs> that was your last point, so we are literally going to... Well, I, I had a comment, although I was going to finish up. Don't don't talk about the last comment that I made. That No, I'm not going to bring that up. Joe to to go deep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was I don't know what I would do. Uh, no, blo- not off with that. More blowjob jokes. Oh dear. I call uh, me blowjob. Well, remember how we talked about Tim? How <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. You don't oh, man. He said his nickname is going to be blowjob. <laughs> oh my! This was, I mean, <laughs> what did you call him, Emperor? Oh, what? Oh, I think he said Emperor Whoopi. <laughs> you like, like Emperor Whoopi. Oh, what has it? <laughs> I don't know why you would say that. I just, that's what I heard. I was like, what? I didn't need a microphone. I mean, I hated the issue yeah. <laughs> and her character in that. 
Um, I think we all just hate that character to begin with. I hope she goes to Blackgate and then Ogilvy snaps her neck. (laughs) Along with Carrie Kelly, I guess. (laughs) We all hate women. Um... I thought that this was actually the best issue of the lot that we had. For whatever reason, that normally doesn't happen. Um, four out of five batarangs. Yeah, for whatever reason, you had no comment. Well, that's because you didn't. You weren't there. I w- I don't know. <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead. <laughs> I guess your happy pills are wearing. No, be- well, the comments were all negative. They were negative topics. I didn't. I didn't say anything negative. <laughs> she jumped anything, in you should have been defending me. <laughs> oh, sorry. I've seen her saying, I liked it. I like this. I like that. Joe's saying it's horrible. Jo- uh, John, you don't even know what you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> and then you were just going, like, Duff for Duff Spider-Man. I would have said that, yes. What else? We're so okay. great. We're so high right now. I don't know what's going on. He wrote up the script and the schedule for everything. So he wrote up the script. And he wrote up the script. And the schedule. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and you'll stop laughing, and then he'll start banging. <sighs> Have a nice day.